the host, producer Nick, my sidekick. Where's Jaime? Oh, Jaime is not here. Very disappointing. It's just us two today. Jaime couldn't even make it to the third week. Jaime Cardenas is currently in the air right now. I understand. He is, He's he got is on work a plane. to do. But anyway, this is Plugged In, a Nashville soccer podcast, and we've got episode three here for you. We're going to be talking a little bit about what's going on with this Nashville SC team. Two matches in, two losses, very little concession in the defense category, and also very little production in the goal scoring category. So we'll be breaking that down a little bit as well as the Portland Timbers rematch. Maybe someone who has created a little bit of an unfortunate narrative in those two matches when we're talking about maybe someone who's been coming on the field these past two games who has done a little bit but hasn't done much to show for, at least on the stat sheet, but is likely to be considered for a position in the starting 11. We'll be talking a little bit about Wow. What else are we going to be talking about? We got a game on Saturday that we got to talk about. Nashville SC, Toronto FC. And then also, when will Nashville SC score and win their first MLS match? It's a big question. Yeah, that's a big... What do you you want to start with? I want to start with an unfortunate narrative that... Is it an unfortunate narrative if the man who is a part of the narrative admits that he was the man who allowed that goal on Sunday? Absolutely. So and we are Nash- talking about... Yeah, we are talking about Eric Miller right now. Nashville SC, nil. Portland Timbers, one. That was the final score. And that one goal came off of a odd and short Anibal Godoy clearance header in the 12th minute. That led to Andy Polo collecting the ball for Portland, a central defensive midfielder, who laid it off to Diego Valeri, who... Without a setup touch, side volley, right corner, in you go. But Diego Valeri was about mm, two to three yards behind Walker Zimmerman. And it just so happened that Eric Miller was someone who was two to three yards behind Valeri. So he laid Valeri onside, and therefore the goal counted, and that became just one of Portland Timbers' two shots on goal the entire match. They didn't even have a shot on goal after the 24th minute. However, the damage was done, and once again, Eric Miller was to fault for it. But he did come and talk with me a little bit about that. So we're going to be here from Eric Miller to see what he has to say about the couple mistakes from Portland and in Atlanta. Have you taken those goals personally, and have you contemplated um, how you want to move forward in, in not only your play, but how this team will move forward against Toronto? Yeah, I think definitely. I think I'm for sure accountable for both goals. I think in both games, we're kind of still finding our way a little bit, right? We're, we've been really solid. We've done a really good job as a group. We've limited a lot of chances, but we, we've broken down in, in two occasions, and a lot of it is my fault in both instances. And I think we just have to try to reduce those moments as much as possible still. I think we, we've done a great job, and to be fair, we've probably been a little bit unfortunate where two guys hit one in the bottom corner. It's unstable, and, and Blair hits an unbelievable volley as well that there's not a lot of guys in the league that can do that, but there are guys in the league that can do that, and that's why you have to try to prevent and limit those opportunities as much as you can. What do you think about that? Like he said, two crucial mistakes and mistakes that ended up not only finessing Nashville out of points, but also finessing Nashville out of a possible win against Portland because if you take a look at that Portland match, half of the battle 
was keeping the Timbers out of goal. And the other half that we need to talk about is them not putting a ball in goal, and particularly in that second part of the of the match. Before we get to that, I want to mention something about Nashville C's defending. While it has been good in terms of normal defending, think about the three goals that they have conceded so far. You have one off of a poor clearance against Atlanta in terms of that first goal. Another off off of a poor clearance uh, against Another Portland. off of Portland. And then you had that kind of scramble off the set piece against Atlanta that they weren't sure about the offside. So we know that Nashville SC can defend. And that does include Eric Miller. Their problem so far, and again, it's three goals in two matches. It's not a problem as per se a problem should be. But all the goals that they've they've conceded so far are goals kind of off the run of play so to speak in terms of you're not good right now they have not given up a goal where the other team constructs the constructs some key passes and there's a cross in and they just they just score after wouldn't you want to bank off of that uh, wouldn't you want to hang your head on that oh uh, definitely definitely yeah. except for the fact that you've given up three in a different kind of way and for a team that is going to be limited by goals they almost have to be perfect on that side. And, and it is it is some give and take where Nashville needs to score goals. We No doubt about that. We're about to talk about that. But when you have a team who's supposed to be so reliant, reliant on defense, I don't think you can say that a team like Nashville can give up three goals in two games and you expect to be getting points out of both of those. But I'm not going to sit here and say that Nashville C is going to hold that average throughout the rest of the season. Like when you take a look, when my my guess for the final goal differential is going to be very close to even for this Nashville C team. I predict that Nashville will have somewhere around forty goals, Fair. and they will concede around forty eight goals. Forty? No, I would say around forty six. Forty six. So my my window for goals against will probably be around mm, forty six, forty seven. And you'll also have Nashville C scoring around, I would say, 40 to 45 goals. So in potentially, we're talking about Nashville C having an under three goal differential to end their inaugural MLS season. And that, my friend, to me personally, for an MLS expansion team is good. No, I mean, definitely what they're at a 51. I'm trying to think of this. You have 34 games. They've been through two. So 17 times three is 51. That's not bad. I no. bet. I, I tell you, there's a team about four hours north from here that would have taken 51 goals in a 34-game season, and they still may not get that this year, and that's FC Cincinnati, of Absolutely. course. Absolutely, FC Cincinnati. I mean, when you just, just, look at the, just look at what they did in 2019. Me, personally, they just – obviously, they didn't have enough MLS experience, but for Nashua SC to have that and then also have probably – one of the best midfields in MLS this season in their first year, just based off of the amount of key passes, the duels that they've won against Diego Char, one of the best holding number sixes in MLS, period, full stop. And they dominated him and Andy Polo. And also going into the Atlanta match, their midfield, their central midfield didn't really have much to say for either. And in fact, Anibal Godoy, in my opinion, was the best midfielder on the field against Atlanta. Sure, and I guess it's more of an expectations kind of thing, you know. I, 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 I'm not saying that Nashville SC has played badly so far. They were against two teams that you don't in two situations where you don't necessarily expect points if you're just the run-of-the-mill MLS team. 
But do you, do you feel like this team is kind of down the dumps so far that they haven't gotten a result in the first two games? No, not yet. Uh, the way that's that, good to hear. The way that players are acting, I was at training earlier today, uh, Wednesday morning, was out there in Brentwood, and for one, guys like Walker Zimmerman, guys like Jaleel Alibaba, who hasn't featured yet, but is obviously on the fringes uh, and getting into that team, especially as we get later into the season. Uh, guys like Daniel Lovitz, guys like, um, you know, Hani Mukhtar was one of the last players to leave the pitch today. Uh, guys are still in, in, in good spirit. And it's not, when we take a look at what Nashville SC has done on paper and how they've lost, it isn't necessarily something that is so effective to where guys are going to be mad or or glad either way. Like if they were on the other side of 1-0 against Portland Timbers, they wouldn't be happy, happy, rah-rah and training. Well, maybe well, that first day we're like, oh, okay, well, we got our first win. But at the same time, they wouldn't come back to training and feel like everything is peaches and cream. This is a team that is very well, uh, I guess you could say mild-mannered. What, what – needs to happen is that Nashville SC needs to, and this is coming from Dax McCarty actually, needs to have a little bit more urgency in closing out the match, particularly, obviously, in the goal scoring category. They only got one and it's coming from center back Walker Zimmerman, but also how to take the match and grab it by the rein and say, okay, we've got the solidity in the back, but we also need to make sure that everything that is done in the midfield with our possession is not pointless it's for a purpose, but it's also controlled. And if we don't see anything, then we need to walk it back and, and switch play. I guess my point is more or less the margin of error for this team is is a little slimmer than maybe some of these veterans are used to. Yeah. I, I, I will say I'm not trying to be critical of Natural SC as a whole because I've I was pleasantly surprised with the way they played on Sunday. I think you might have been too, in terms of the way they controlled the game and they got the, the they got more more time in the final third, certainly than Portland did. Maybe not necessarily the crazy good chances, but I, I was very, I was very pleasantly surprised to see them control the game, which I guess really shouldn't be a surprise with that midfield. But if they do what they did on Sunday again, three, three more times in the next three matches, you put the same. There's got to be a, there's got to be at least a couple of points. In oh, there. absolutely, and probably a win. I mean, that was a winning performance in Portland except for the fact that they didn't put goals in the net. Yeah, as you mentioned, the moments, the final key moments anyway, a guy like Jimmy Madronda setting up a good cross to where Walker Zimmerman had a cross goal header, basically came him from the left flank, crossed it into Walker Zimmerman. He heads it back left the, in the same way, and Steve Clark just got a, got a tip on it. Uh, another guy like Anibal Godoy, once again, uh, same similar thing that happened in the Atlanta match, but – in this in this game, he had a good chance sitting on the edge of the box. I believe it was stoppage time uh, in the second half, and he takes it, cross, lets it cross his face, left foot to the bottom right corner, and Steve Clark makes a tip to, a tip save. Things like that, they've got to go in eventually. But the problem and the fact of the matter is they're not. And Gary Smith knows that. And I talked with him on Tuesday about this. And he had a little bit to say about a particular player who's not in the starting 11 that perhaps could be. You know, I certainly have to start considering guys like Daniel Rios um, and, and other attacking players that have, have you know, been good for us in the past, um, who are very capable. And that's not 
that's not to um, you know cast aside or dismiss the guys that have been in there but at this point in time it's making sure that not only are we doing enough to improve but we've got the right combinations mm-hmm. and you know it'll be something that I'll talk to the staff about across the course of this week Nick well, Mr. Rios well, I think what do you think about that? I think it's it's it. I think you have to try everything um, in terms of making sure because you don't really have a guy that you were. We we talked about this earlier in prior episodes. We don't. We there's no guy here that we can see Nashville SC relying upon in that striker role. So it does not hurt to to try other guys. And Daniel Rios in the final twenty minutes was excellent. I thought everything again. We're going to say this again. Everything except putting balls in the net. That's that's uh, he was good. He was good, but I'm I'm disappointed. I assume any kind of rumor or uh, innuendo about a two striker formation. I know that question was asked on Tuesday. Yeah, it was on Tuesday. I, I think Abu Dunladi's injury probably renders that moot. I right. would assume Abu Dunladi, as of Wednesday, missed his second straight training session. By the time that this airs, there's a possibility that Abu will have an update or could possibly come back in in I wouldn't say full fitness but he'll be able to train I, I think he's questionable I'm not reporting that but that's just my own intuition that he would be questionable for the Toronto FC match and, and if you didn't see the the match or at least the second half on Sunday he left the game early After 22 minutes with came on was there any in like 60th ish minute yeah 60th minute he came off on the 82nd minute and that's when Jimmy Madronda came in made his club debut uh, for Nashville SC. Was it a lower body injury? Do it was a lower body. He he basically limped off uh, with Abu Dunladi and his hamstring injury history. That does not necessarily look good. I'm not reporting that it is a hamstring. Like I said, by the time this comes out, there will be a report to be made. But it's not looking good for someone who's had a little bit of an injury in preseason Abu did have some sort of a soreness in his lower back from a bit of a collision against Louisville City. Um, and in that match, he ended up in a couple of days later trickling in back into the preseason camp. But they were very cautious about how they're dealing with Abu and really all players, especially guys like Abu, Daniel Rios, who's had his knocks in preseason. Whether you're in the starting lineup or the super sub role, these guys need to be taken care of because that's one of the biggest faults I think in Nashville SC is that the depth is not necessarily there. What happens if they go deep in the U.S. Open Cup? What happens if they are in the middle of the summer? Let's say after the summer they finish their their road, their road trip. Yeah, they come back and they've got about five matches at home, but they need an average of two points in those five matches. Are they are they going to be able to do that? Are they going to be able to do that from Putting in Alan Wynn. Let's say I don't want to wish this on anybody, but just let's say Alan Wynn. Let's say Taylor Washington needs to come into the team because someone like Randall Leal gets knocked up or someone like Hani Mukhtar gets knocked up. What happens if Anibal Godoy, something happens to him? There's players like Washington, Alan Wynn, I think Derek Jones, but are you going to depend on those guys to get you three points in, in more than just one or two matches? I, I I think you can in spots, but like say we, that trip to LA, where you have if you're you're through that long road trip and then you have some injuries and then you have to play LAFC and LA Galaxy back to back, that would be a problem. 
Certainly. Yeah, I would think. But I also want to make a point, maybe, and in, in this more to the Daniel Rios thing, and really team-wide, Gary Smith's still learning how to tactically deploy these players, trying to figure out even the midfield where Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty aren't necessarily the guys to, to start the match going forward in, in, in kind of a supplemental attacking role. But when do they start? When In their mind, because, I mean, they're veterans, they're guys that, I assume the team would defer to more right. often than not in their mind. When do they feel it is necessary for them to start moving forward when you need a goal? Like it was like the situation in Portland. Is it the 50th minute? Is it the 60th minute? Is it 75th minute? Is it when, is it when Gary Smith starts bringing on more for uh, attacking players? We don't know that yet. And I don't think Gary Smith necessarily knows that for sure either. That's going to be part of the learning process and part of whether or not Dan Rios fits the 11 as currently constructed. Well, let's bring it back to the original root of this conversation and this topic. Tactically, does Nashville SC need to change their shape? Do they need to implement Rios permanently? What effect would that have? I mean, take a look at take a look at the first match. Dominique Baji had under twenty touches in the whole match. He's at the bottom of the frame when it comes to the amount of activity for center forwards in MLS. For after the first two matches. So he had 12 touches in the first half. The next, uh, David Akam didn't really have the most active first half either, but he obviously was able to link with Baji and other players in that second half and have a pretty strong second half. But Baji, for the past two matches, has all, all, he's been replaced by Daniel Rios in, as a sub. He's not been very active when it, term, when it comes to that final third and getting on the ball and being able to put the ball on target. So Brad Guzan and Steve Clark are not a lot of dirt, not a lot of grass stains on their jersey. But what do you think about? Because what do you think about the necessity there? Does it need to be a shape? Is it simple as a shape change? Is it simple as plugging in another player? And if so, map out who who is out and who's in. Like, put give me an eleven of what you think would score more goals. Essentially, I, I think I think putting in Daniel Rios coming on Saturday against Toronto would be a good start. But I don't think the formation needs to change so much now. I think Portland and Atlanta are difficult tests. And I think maybe Toronto. How do I want to put this? Yeah. How do you want to put I, this? <laughs> how do you how exactly? you? Want I, to put I think this? I think you come off of a match where you feel like you are the better team against Portland. You don't want to change a ton. Now you may want to change Daniel Rios, but I think I'll, I think something Gary Smith mentioned is it the service that might be more the issue than the striker because no no striker in the world can take the ball at midfield and take it in on himself of against a regular not. defense. Of, of course, course not. But, he's, but, but is Dom the is... service there because Hani Mutar, for all of the expectations for him, hasn't created a really really good chance yet, has he? Well, you have a stat, don't you? About do I the distribution in the final third? Well, I, features, I know, I know they, I know they struggled, soccer. and MLSsoccer.com has has some things that they've added to their box scores in terms of distribution. Yeah, thank you, Opta. Complete completed passes. They didn't complete a pass inside of the final inside of the penalty area. There were some key passes, key in passes and in and the, around in the area. But, but you, when you go to that and you see just, I mean, it's pretty clean. There's, there's nothing there. Um, there was some thing, you know, later in the match, there were some crosses across there were some crosses um, from either side of the box that worked out. But 
I think I think for me the service has to get better, regardless of if that status is is what it is with the, yeah notably with with Jimmy Madronda in the ninety third completed passes yes yes definitely so that uh, was a key pass, but in terms of just regular passes, you got to make the defense feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and I bet Brad Guzan and Steve Clark did not feel uncomfortable after their match, after their matches against Nashville SC. And they had no reason to because the service didn't really challenge them. Now you had that that moment. They've had two moments that I can think of where maybe they felt uncomfortable. Obviously, the cross in to the cross in the second half against Atlanta, which was just off the foot of a calm, wasn't Akam. it? That was from Dominic Baji, who went wide left and was able to cross it into a calm who slid but missed it by a, less than a yard. And another left to right cross right into Zimmerman. Was it? Uh, yeah, d- during the Portland during match. During an extra time. That was the Madronda cross. The Madronda cross. 93rd so, minute. So, yes. So those two things are the two times that I can remember that you really feel uncomfortable. So is it the service? And that's that's going to be a question that I can't answer. I'm not, I'm not smart. I'm definitely not smarter than Gary Smith when well, it comes Ga- to tactics. Well, Gary did say on Tuesday that there were also times where they had a better chance that they – actually took advantage of the ones that they took advantage of take that and put it to the side and Gary Smith said that there were chances in which either Daniel Lovitz or Leal or Mukhtar or Akam who were out wide decided not to take a chance and instead went back and switched play or they played a a recovery pass or they played something a little more safe in lieu of looking for something better, which shortly thereafter turned out to either be a turnover or a deflected pass out of bounds or something happened where they should have gone and taken the chance when they had it, but they decided to, according to Gary Smith's words, squander it. So that was that's the situation that's the case right now with this team, particularly when it comes to the service. From my eye, it looked like Portland did a good job of once they scored the goal, and once Nashville really took a hold of the game in terms of possession and in terms of just overall alignment of the formations and how Portland sat back, they did a good job of making Nashville's off attack kind of stat- static, I guess would be the best word, where you didn't really have free-flowing play that ended up... By the time you got to where you were making that cross in or the through pass in or the pass into the, into the box, it kind of felt static. There was no, the free-flowing play wasn't quite there yet. And again, that's probably more a case of you haven't been playing with this with inside of this eleven for more than two matches of real MLS play. So I that's for me. That's why I think they should continue with the formation. Maybe make a change or two if you want to in terms of the wings. I could understand changing Liao or Calm out. Just one for one. I wouldn't. If you're going to change, if you're going to change, I wouldn't call it permanent. If you're going to change, it's going to be the nine. Certainly, but I also don't think it would be. Would it be bad? Would it be a poor choice to maybe put Alan Wynn on the right and bring in David Akam maybe in the 55th minute? No, there's when you take a look at the guys who can do the most damage. David Akam is in a one v one situation can be as lethal as you're going to get on this National C roster. Full stop. The guy who, in this shape, that would need to be put in would be obviously Daniel Rios because he, for one, knows the system better than anyone. He also is a lot more fitting when it comes to how this team 
wants to play in the final third. There's when you a guy who's probably going to stay more central as Dom has the athleticism and has a little bit more of a mentality to want and go drift wide to make a play or as we saw in the Atlanta match, he can drift wide, catch a through pass and go down the touchline and put service into the box of somebody who's diving in. But for this shape, I think you want your nine to be in the box when you're in the attacking third. That's Daniel Rios is that. If you were going to take this shape and reconstruct it, instead of a four two three one, it will be a four two two two. The same back line, the same protective front, no, the same protective two with the Godoy and and uh, excuse me, McCarty. Then you're going to have Leal and Mukhtar as two tents. Because the problem that I saw, especially after Portland scored in that first half and in the beginning of the second half before Nashville tried to have their last-minute surge, was that there was not enough activity in the flanks. When, when they were in the attacking third and David Akam was out wide, they had someone marking him, obviously, and then they had someone in, in, a, bit of a, uh, in a bit of a space that wasn't necessarily sharing the space with, let's say, uh, Villafania, who was marking Akam, but their center back or their six likely Diego Char in that situation, was in a shape where you couldn't make a run and play off of David Akam because that was Char's space as well. And the reason why that didn't work is because that player was stationary. You need somebody to be able to move space in and out of different, basically, I hate to use the word space again, but different spaces to allow a little bit more movement so maybe David Akam could make could play you the ball and make a run into the box and you give it back to him. That's something, that's something that I didn't see at all against Portland. Maybe that is something that Gary Smith hasn't emphasized yet, but it's something that I think that could work for this National C team to put a lot more pressure on any opponent, not just Portland or Atlanta, any opponent. So to have two tens, that would allow Mukhtar to be a lot, little bit more wide, and maybe he would be the guy in addition to Eric Miller who would be right there up on the touchline to allow David Akam to release that pressure by playing that pass, and then Akam can make a, a run behind the back line, and Mukhtar can thread it to him, and then now you're in. Now you have a, a, it's a situation where Baji or uh, Godoy, clearly because he's been at the edge of the, at the, at the box when they get the ball, he's been someone who's been at the edge of the box ready to put one in. Whether it's Godoy, whether it's Baji, whether, whether it's Leal who's inside the box, now you have options, which I didn't see in the Portland match specifically. So, again, four, two with McCarty and uh, Godoy. Uh, Godoy. And then you have Leal, Mukhtar, and the front two will be Baji and Rios. That's personally how I see. With no Akam? Or excuse me, with uh, Baji and Akam. Okay. No so, Rios. No Rios. Okay. Uh, I don't think Rios is a two-front Guy, I think he's a lone striker guy or a four-three-three type, uh, but that's just my opinion. But when it comes to Daniel Rios, though, can he? he he's a sleeper. Like I think he could be a sleeper. Like I think he could be someone who might mess around and be some sort of MLS newcomer, so to speak, if he gets the chance. Well, he, he is right an MLS chance. newcomer. Newcomer. Don't get but smart with me. You know what I'm trying to say. Like he can score. You know I he can't can get score. smart. 
he can score six. You or seven You know I can't goals. get smart. He can score six or seven goals if he gets the chance. That's his ceiling for me, me personally. Well, I, I think also, you, I mean, it's the concern of anyone who's coming in from a second division situation. I don't situation. see him as a second division guy because he was the first MLS contract. So he was a MLS player playing for But a where USL did he team. play before, before this year? Okay, you're not going to score back-to-back 20 you goals. Are, you're not you gonna are who you play with. No. In soccer. No. You are who you play no. with. And he played with second division Absolutely teams not. for three straight years. Who was what was the what was the first North year? Carolina? North Carolina. He okay. played he yeah. played in the second if division you, in Mexico, if, then he played in North Carolina in NCFC. In my North Carolina in FC, my opinion, and then Daniel went Rios to National SC with USL. I, I understand. Daniel Rios was not a USL level player. Well, I, I you don't you, score. you're right. You're right in terms of that, but he did play in the USL. Okay, but he was you're not gonna be a quote unquote USL player and score 20 goals in back-to-back seasons. Well, that's the question that he needs to answer in terms of how his abilities abilities reflect on how he can play in MLS. I mean, and he that's every, it already. And that has he? In that in that game he took 5 minutes to get Anyone to test Anyone can C4. have a 20-minute period in he which they look minutes. good. He took 5 minutes. On a, on a, and and given the situation, Portland was holding on for dear life in terms of the formation in their tactics. Don't, don't, don't try to make excuses for them. He literally I'm not making any excuses. They didn't give up a goal. Daniel Rios did not score a goal. Did he even have a sh- – he had what? Yes, one shot That's goal. Why, if you would let me finish, he took five minutes. When he got onto the pitch, he took five minutes to force a Steve Clark dive. Fair. I, I, that I remember a, that. That, that, is a, that is a start. If you are a USL player – Two guys, not even just Daniel Rios. Alan Wynn was cl- he put him. He had a Meg on and, and created a chance out of what 10, 15 minutes. Can you please make Music City Megs happen? Music City Megs happen. Uh, so for those who don't know the reference of that, Music City Megs was my tweet after uh, MLS Soccer put out their, or should I say, uh, Matt Doyle? Shout out Matt Doyle of uh, MLSsoccer.com. He put out a, I guess you could say, a GIF or a short video of Alan Wynn's Meg on, I think that might have been Jack Mulraney of Atlanta United in the debut match. And I quote tweeted that, or I saved the video and I tweeted out myself, Music City Megs starts now. And that blew up, quote unquote. Uh, and anyone who wants to change this podcast name from what it is now to Music City Megs, please, please shout out Drake because yeah, shout me we're out trying, so we're trying show, guys. We really me, are. Shout me out so I can show the leadership that, I know what I'm talking about, and I think that would li- that would make our podcast a little more spicy. I wouldn't say you know what you're talking about per se. I know what I'm talking uh, about overall, but maybe maybe with Music City, you're bugging. No, I know what I'm talking about. All right, let, let's get on to Toronto. What do we think about this game on Saturday? Well, Toronto has not necessarily been at you know their sharpest form either. And you take a look at a team who had some some good promise, obviously with bringing back Michael Bradley with a contract extension. However, they do have a win. Toronto FC does have a win. They are currently sitting in fourth after a 1-0 win against New York City FC. That was last weekend. And then on opening day, they had a 2-2 draw with San Jose, which was quite surprising simply due to the fact that San Jose isn't necessarily a team that I think of when you take a look at the quality of the top MLS teams and maybe some teams that would qualify for the MLS playoffs because that San Jose team the next week got whopped by Minnesota United. It was not pretty. So that's another team that I think Nashville C fans need to watch out for. Minnesota United, coached by Adrian Heath, 
switched from this possession style to a counterattack, which has done very well. He put three goals on Portland Timbers, beat Portland at Portland on opening day, and then, of course, they beat San Jose 5-2. But we're going off track. This Toronto FC team, when I take a look at them, I think they're a team that is going to be tough to beat at home. Obviously, with Alejandro Pozuelo, uh, is going to be one of their best players for sure, especially going forward. He scored in that opening match against San Jose, a guy who is, is quite technical. He's quite creative, and he's a guy who will probably give Nashville some problems, possibly. This is a match that's in Toronto, so that's another challenge for Nashville. But also, who's going to make those adjustments? I mean, we talked about Daniel Rios being a little more of a factor. Will he get in at after 45 if Nashville SC's attacking issues continue? Will will he be in the starting will 11? Will he be in the starting 11? Will there be any other switch up? What type of start will Nashville SC have against a team that was in MLS Cup final last year against Seattle? And the surprise that knocked out Atlanta United in the Eastern Conference final. So there's things to worry about if you're a Nashville SC fan. But producer Nick... I'm prompting you to give your prediction score. I think this is, I, I was so encouraged. Uh, now we, we talked, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but we talked earlier last week. I thought there probably wasn't going to be a good opportunity for Nashville SC to get its first points and its first win until next week against Columbus. Correct. That's right. Yeah. On the whiteboard here in the Tennessean, that's where we are. Pull up. If you have any soccer questions, we'd love to have you. Nick Gray has Nashville SC winning its first match against Columbus Crew at Nissan Stadium March 21st. That is the only day game, which I look forward to, the only day game of the MLS season scheduled right now. I don't have them winning until April 11th at home against Sporting KC. What a hater. Sporting Zella, KC, by the way. Zella Rayan, playing Darlington so well. Nagby. Who else, who else is playing? playing well, too. For, Zella for Rayan is – They probably should have beaten shifty. You know, Caleb they, Port, Caleb they probably Porter. should have beaten Seattle at Seattle last Caleb week. Caleb Porter has this team in, in function. They are functioning right now with Columbus Crew. They are dangerous. My, they are my U.S. Open Cup winner prediction. Uh, so watch out for Columbus Crew. 1-1 is my prediction, by the way, for this Toronto. Sure, they Toronto can get a Nashville. draw. They Certainly. can get a point. They can get their first point in MLS. Obviously, obviously the concerns about goal scoring is what it is. And we Who's your goal scorer easily. for Nashville in 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 – let me start with Toronto because you're getting off track. What's the prediction for Toronto FC, Nashville FC, Saturday? 1-1. One, one. I, I just said that. Oh, I thought you were one, talking one. Columbus. No, 1-1. One, one. One, no, one, I, I have Nashville FC winning 2-1 against Columbus. That's that's next week's podcast. 1-1, one, one, I think, for Nashville. Let's go with my man David Akam. Why not? I haven't there given him go. enough love. I, I, I was a little critical of him earlier trying to take him out of the 11. But if he stays in the 11, he's had opportunities. And... In your formation, where he play would play alongside four, two, a Baji, two, two. which you know everybody loves a good four-two-two-two. Two, two. Let me tell you, that that's, is that's that's my go-to <laughs> formation on FIFA twenty. Let me tell you that I was going to say that's my FIFA formation with with I used to play with Manchester United, and I had we're getting off traffic, but off topic. But I had I had uh, Juan Bissaka, I had uh, who else did I have in center back? Harry, I guess Harry Maguire. Anyways, that's not important. But I had I bought back Cristiano Ronaldo, and I had Cristiano Ronaldo and Anthony Martial, plus Marcus Rashford, and just some reminding other you players. how 
but how anyway. unrealistic this FIFA 20 is. But anyway, hey, I stack money, so hey, it's man. all good. It's all right. But anyway, 1-1 is your prediction. David Akam is the score. I think it's 2-1 Toronto. Oh, man. Pozuelo gets on the score sheet for Toronto. Are plus, you about to say a Josie Altidore goal? Oh, man. You totally forgot Should about I, Josie. Huh? You haven't said Josie Altidore's name I haven't name said Josie either. because Josie's on his way back. You know, he's coming back from an injury. He's 100% fitness, I should say. He was in the lineup, wasn't he, last week? Yes, but I'm saying that he, after a injury-prone, injury-plagued 2019 season, Josie Altidore is still making his way Josie Altidore was in the he 11 was, but he for did not Toronto score. He did not score. NYCFC. He did not score. I don't think he scores against Nashville. But I think they get their sec. I, get, I think they get two goals against Nashville, Toronto, and it will be Randall Leal. Mm, first, first open play goal. A lot of their play has come off of that side too, in terms of their of their ball movement. Well, so that would not surprise because me. Because in the Atlanta match, I think in the last twenty minutes of the first half, I really didn't see Randall Leal. It was almost like he was on an island. That happened again against Portland too, where. It, it seemed as if he was not understanding how the play was moving or perhaps he was just letting the game come to him. Maybe that's just his game. He just lets the game come to him and leave when he pleases. But I think that Nashville SC... <laughs> when he pleases. When he pleases. That usually happens What in the final whistle. That's when it doesn't really work that way. When he Toronto pleases. Toronto FC 2, Nashville C 1, Ron Leal is your score. He'll leave when he pleases, I guess. He will leave the pitch when he pleases. All right. That is it. Episode three is in the books. Plugged in. This is a natural soccer podcast. Peace out.